so the burnt chop syndrome i love this uh, this i heard it first from lisa o'neill but i don't think it was uh, actually her phrase but uh, the burnt chop syndrome this is how it happens power to live more with joe dodds welcome to the power to live more podcast all about productivity organization well-being energy and resilience I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean to do the stuff that they want to do more than the stuff that they need to or should do. It's about creating a life for yourself where you have the energy, health and space to be happy and fulfilled, spending your time as you'd like, whether that be at work, home or somewhere else entirely. That's your choice. Hello. My name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joe's interviewing Karen Tui Boys. Karen was introduced to us by Jackie Handy of show number 173. Even better when we heard that Karen and Jackie randomly met on a plane and have been close friends ever since. Karen is a champion for lifelong learning across nations, industries and organisations. An expert in effective teaching and learning, study skills, motivation and positive thinking. Karen is a multi-award winning international speaker. She is the wife of one and mother of four. Back to the studio. Today I'm speaking to Karen Tui Boys of Spectrum Education. Welcome Karen, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So we start by you telling me who you are, what you do and crucially where you do it. <laughs> so uh... I am a champion for lifelong learning. As an ex-teacher, I saw that children would come into the uh, classroom at five years old with that light in their eyes, that excitement, but very soon, two years later, we were seeing the light die. And so I thought, why? why? Why are we killing this love of learning? And so I wanted to know, how does the brain learn? How do we keep kids learning? How do we keep them engaged in learning? So as a teacher, I left uh, teaching 26 years ago to run a company called Spectrum Education. And we work with teachers, parents, and students now to really instill that love of learning for them. Mm. And where do you do it? Oh, well, globally, actually. So I before the pandemic, I had travelled to 21 different countries to uh, work with both teachers, students and parents. Uh, and now uh, with uh, the amazing ability with Zoom and everything else, I think uh, I've had 36 countries uh, this year so far. Wow, wow. And you are based where? I'm based in New Zealand, so mm -hmm. down to the bottom of the world in paradise. <laughs> lovely, lovely. So, uh, yeah, quite a long way from here. <laughs> yes. and at the other end of the day, we've had to do this interview at a, a, an unusual time uh, for, for me. Because <laughs> when, when I sent my usual times, I think it was like three o'clock in the morning for you or something, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes. Look, look, Joe, I would have got up at three o'clock for you. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, it wouldn't have worried me. But I said, if there is another time, that would be great. So it's eight <laughs> o'clock in the morning here. So I appreciate it. <laughs> lovely lovely so let's talk a bit about how this all came about because sort of now doing what you do as you say sort of internationally using technology and I, I, I don't know even in the sort of the sort of culture of now in terms of helping parents te parents teachers children it's sort of it doesn't sound unusual but you said that was like 23 years ago when we had sort of less technology and were possibly less enlightened. How, how did it come about that you were able to start the business and start doing what you did in a time when it wasn't perhaps quite as well, and I might be making assumptions here, but a time when it wasn't quite <laughs> as, as well received. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, it was 26 years ago. And um, well, I, I've been blessed my whole entire life to know that I was on this planet to teach. So uh, it was a no-brainer for me to go straight from school to university to train to be a teacher and then to teach. But as I said, I saw that light in their eyes die and I started to wonder, why is that happening? How do we um, extinguish the very thing we want, the love of learning? 
And at the same time, I actually went to a course uh, about accelerating learning and I was so inspired because I had never learned as a teacher how children learned. I didn't know how the brain worked. At the time, I had 36 six-year-olds in my classroom and 27 of them were boys. And so if anyone's been a teacher, you know that boys uh, have completely different needs to girls. Uh, and my nine lovely girls just sat and did what they were told and my 27 boys <laughs> were a different story. And I didn't understand that boys and girls learn differently. Mm. And so, and that's a huge generalization, of course. However, um, I really wanted to make a difference. And I realized quite quickly that I, I could make a difference to the 36 children every year I had, or I could leave teaching to pursue a career in teaching teachers about what I'd learned. And yes, that was uh, very unusual. And I remember ringing my parents because I was only 26 years old at the time too. So this is half my life ago. <laughs> uh, and so uh, 26, I'm ringing my parents saying, I'm leaving teaching, I'm going to start a business. And my father's like, oh, but you've got a safe, secure job, uh, which I did. Uh, and it, it was scary. I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't know anything about business, but I knew it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't about me. It was about trying to make that bigger difference and to be at the heart of teaching and learning uh, for teachers to be able to make sure that they uh, could do the very best that they could do, do mm -hmm. but they can't do it without the information. Mm -hmm. So I knew I could make a bigger difference outside the education system. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, I was talking to some of the members of my membership uh, today about how when you're selling to, for example, corporate leaders or people within corporate situations, that you're not really selling to them, you're selling to the people who are going to pay for whatever that service is. And so sometimes the, the, the challenge is between sort of getting people excited at the level that you're going to help them at, but you have to go and get somebody else excited enough to pay the, <laughs> the bill, if you like. Yes. Um, and it strikes me that that must have been a similar sort of scenario that you wanted to go and teach teachers, but teachers don't buy your services, presumably, or they maybe didn't to begin with. Tell us yes. a bit about that whole process, because it must have changed over the 26 years as well. But, you know, when yeah, so. One of the things that I did was I modelled uh, successful people from outside the education industry. Uh -huh. So I watched at the time uh, Brad Sugars, who was a marketing expert, because mm -hmm. I realised that I could have the best product in the world, but if I didn't know how to market it, yeah. as you said, if I didn't know how to get to the right people, if people didn't buy, then I was uh, going to starve. So, um, and I wasn't going to make a difference. And so... I started modeling what he was doing. He was starting a brand new company called Action International, and he started doing free seminars around New Zealand and Australia. And I went, well, I'll do that. So I just ran free seminars for teachers uh, around New Zealand, and uh, no one had ever done that before in the education field. So they were at six o'clock in the evening, so it wasn't during school time, and it was free. and. Uh, you know, I had three, four hundred teachers turn up and some of the venues, there was not enough chairs. They had to sit on the floor and they willingly so did. And it was amazing. And so from that, I sold a, a bigger package, uh, mm -hmm. again, modeling what I saw in the corporate world happening. And so that was where I started, I guess, just being able to do that modeling. And now, 26 years later, I'm still doing that. I'm still looking at how are people getting a big reach? How are they uh, making a bigger impact? And uh, we just ran our first uh, online summit uh, a few weeks ago, and it was uh, sensational. We had 7,500 people registered from 36 countries. So uh, I just model. So that would be... Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's a really great sort of nugget for anybody who's got their own business is look outside of your own experience and, and perhaps perhaps your own sector to see yeah. what everyone else is doing and how can you sort of bring that into what you're doing. So, no, really, really interesting to hear. Um, and you sort of shocked me saying that you didn't get taught when you were going through your teacher training about how children learn. <laughs> It just seems sort of quite logical that, that that would be 
part of the, the training. But I wonder if we didn't think so. But no, what we got taught was uh, content. We got taught um, uh, how to teach reading, how to run reading groups. We, got t we were taught about the maths that we had to teach. We were taught about science. We were taught about music, how to run a PE session. But nowhere in my training, and still in many places around yeah. the world, our teachers actually told about how the brain learns. How do we remember information? How do we retain? How do we uh, set up an environment for learning to actually occur? Because they talk about teaching. And there is a difference between teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. I, it reminds me of a story uh, my daughter sort of still shares. When she was in year... Five, uh, yeah, year five, I think. Her her teacher um, explained the learning styles to the class and got them to do the questionnaire. Um, it wasn't the it wasn't the Honey and Mumford one that I knew, but it was the one that came up with whether you were a visual learner, an auditory learner, or a kinesthetic learner. So they all did it, and I think they wrote it all up on the the board. And then <laughs> she literally came home at that sort of time and said, and he did all of that, and then he spent the rest of the year teaching us as he'd done all along. <laughs> Not taking any, any account of the fact that they all had different learning styles, which was quite funny because somewhere along the line, he thought it was a good idea to, to explain the learning styles thing, but he got completely uh, rumbled because she knew that he hadn't adapted at all. <laughs> and that's, that's a symptom that often happens is that uh, teachers make the assumption if they teach children about their learning styles, then then the children will know how to learn. But you yeah. actually have to teach to the styles as well and provide the opportunities. Yeah. But that was also back 26 years ago. I remember a teacher, because I was young, pinning me against the wall and saying, it's not my responsibility to teach to the different learning styles. It's my, the children's responsibility to learn from me. Yeah. And so that was that was some of the mindset that was around back yeah. then and still some today that, you know, the children have to learn from me. Mm. I'll just teach it and they have to learn. But mm. we now know that, you know, that's not quite the way the brain works and we need to engage them in different ways. Yes, yeah. And the point you made about your, your boys and girls, we were only talking about that at the dinner table the other day, um, having a daughter, um, you know, my husband obviously being a man. <laughs> Um, and saying you know how they learned differently and and um yeah. in our in our county in the uk we have single sex schools so ellie's a senior school that's just girls and um you know we were talking about why they've done that and you know whether that's helpful or not or whatever but um mm. you know as you say just even if you sort of sweeping generalization look at that difference simon was saying you know exactly what you were implying earlier which was that he wanted to run around doing stuff and wasn't going to sit around behaving and being told yeah. stuff and just learning it because he, he was supposed to sort of thing so yeah yeah absolutely interesting so how how much has has it changed so you said you know some places are still quite traditional I guess some um, areas of the world are, are, are much different and you know we're recording this just at the beginning of September and, and uh, very sadly heard last week that Sir Ken Robinson um, passed away, who uh, has, I think, still the, the most watched TED Talk um, so, in the world yes. all about creativity and how we sort of drum it out of children in schools rather than enable it sort of thing. So um, how, how has it changed in 26 years? Hopefully you're going to tell me it has. <laughs> No, it's just like cringing and going, I'm not sure it has. Um, often I feel such a failure because it's like my, uh, my mission is to impact and change and transform education. And then I look around and go, what impact have I actually had? Um, but uh, I'm sure I have. Uh, it, it, is, it is changing. Uh, it's very slow. Education is probably the slowest of all industries to change. Yeah. Uh, and that's because it's fundamentally, and Sir Ken Robinson talked about this, it's fundamentally based on uh, the wrong model because the model is still based on, well, globally, on the uh, English model of uh, factory workers mm -hmm. that uh, let's fail 50% of them, let's uh, tell them they're dumb, tell them they're stupid, and they'll go work in the factories, which is the 18th century model from England. Mm -hmm. And so 
because that's in the 1800s that's what the governments needed and uh, let's face it education is a way of a government controlling a population it uh, it starts with the haves and the have-nots and uh, there is a was a clear let's fail 50% of the children. And so in 1907 in New Zealand, we took the same model. Let's fail 50% of them. Let's put them through a test uh, at a certain age. And if they fail, then uh, they're not academic. But of course that test, which we still have, these yeah. tests and these exams for these children are based on memory skills mm -hmm. but we don't teach children how to use their memories how to retain information how to regurgitate things in a stressful situation and now maybe three percent of our population might be a little more but three percent of our population work in the factories so it's it, the factory model has so gone but our schools even the way they're set out with uh moving from class to class to class uh is still the factory model mm -hmm. so we're actually fundamentally working in a system that's um flawed from the from the foundation up yeah uh, However, saying that, uh, there's some autonomy that teachers have. So when teachers get that the system is broken, they can uh, uh, massage that system in a way. Yes. And so they can start doing things like I wrote a book last year called Project Genius. And it's around project-based learning and how do we actually have children be able to know that they can make a difference, that they have can have an impact on the world and to find their passion. And so it's a, basically a 10-week program, maybe an hour, an hour and a half a day, uh, sorry, a week, that the children uh, explore uh, different things and try and make an impact uh, in the world. So, for instance, one girl wanted to uh, learn how to crochet. And we're like, great, well, so what? Any, you, anyone can learn to crochet. But then she realised there were orphans in, uh, orphanages in Romania who were freezing cold. So she started crocheting scarves for the Romanian orphans. And now she's learning crocheting, but she's got a bigger reason to do it. And so uh, many teachers are taking that kind of approach, uh, even uh, the entrepreneurial approach of how to help kids understand uh, business in the world. Mm -hmm. And for me, this is really important, Joe, because uh, we know that 60% of the jobs in the future uh, won't be there. But the other statistic that uh, most people haven't heard is that in the next five to 10, maybe 15 years, is that 40% of our five-year-olds in our school are going to need to be self-employed to have any form of income. Mm. And we're seeing that during this pandemic. We're seeing jobs go. We're seeing um, whole industries being decimated. And the only way that people might have an opportunity to actually have an income is to create their own business. That's yeah. a whole different mindset because school teaches you to turn up on time, do as you're told, don't rock the boat, don't question and clock out at the end of the day. Yeah. You and I know being self-employed means that nobody checks that you turn up. Uh, <laughs> if you don't turn up, you don't eat. Uh, you don't just do one job, you do all the jobs. Uh, you have to uh, do the tax, you have to do the invoicing, you have to get the work, you have to do the marketing, then you have to actually do the work. And you have to be so multi-skilled mm -hmm. and you have to be self-motivated. So there is a shift towards that self-motivated, self-disciplined, self-efficacy um, for uh, learners. Yeah. So that's a long answer to your question. Yeah, no, and um, both uh, depressing and inspiring all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in, and also interesting, as you say, around the sort of pan pandemic thing that, you know, with the homeschooling and, and the disruption. And, you know, I've taken quite a, a sort of pragmatic view but I, I I know that's because I have had a business for 15 years and I haven't done the traditional route and everything else so you know I, I've been saying very much well you know it is what it is Ellie will do what she does you know let's see what happens and 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 whatever but um you know good example today actually she she did her Duke of Edinburgh um last year which is um a UK thing where you do sort of um an outward bound mission yes, 
you've got that too yeah cool of course because it's commonwealth it probably does <laughs> um but they can't do the expedition so they're going to have a certificate of achievement for this year instead of actually getting the bronze award because they couldn't do uh-huh. the actual camping bit of it and today i said to her oh you know you need to get your evidence collated from the people you know where you volunteered and where you did your um mm. development sort of thing to get that sent in and she said to me well, my friend's mum's already emailed everybody and got all that info before, even before the holidays, I think. So, you know, and I was like, yeah. And she was like, so, and I was like, why would I do that? <laughs> it's like, why would you get a certificate for doing something that I've then, you know, had to gather together for you and pro- provide the evidence for? You're 14. You're more than capable of asking the people that you worked with to give Great. you testimonial you know why would I do it and she you know she sort of stomped off knowing that it was probably the right answer that I gave her but not not being happy about it because she wants me to do it for her <laughs> that's one of the, that's, see the Duke of Edinburgh I think is teaches students far more skills than sitting in a science class for a year yeah. uh, life skills that are going to help them in bigger terms yeah. and uh, the other point you make is that parents uh, that are enabling kids and doing so much for them and I see children leaving schools who um, don't don't have any initiative mm-hmm. I see them coming into workplaces and just waiting to be told what to do yeah. even yeah. if they've done it 16 times uh, they they, they come in and they wait for me to tell them what to do. And I'm like, well, shouldn't you just carry on what you did yesterday? But they, they do, they've come from the system that's disempowered yeah. the kids and parents who are disempowering. And uh, so things like the Duke of Edinburgh are, are wonderful for our children to gain those life skills in a school system that isn't quite up to speed to do that for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So how do you work with people? You've, you've talked about working sort of internationally and obviously there, there's so much more opportunity to do that at the moment with people expecting to have to work online. Um, but, but what do your sort of days look like? What sort of activity is happening for you to I work in many different ways. So before uh, this pandemic, of course, I travelled and I spoke at conferences as a keynote speaker or I was a teacher in residence in a school, so I might base myself in a school for a week and uh, work with the students doing model lessons so teachers can see some of the techniques and ideas happening in the classroom and how their children respond to them. Or I'm just coaching the teachers or doing mini workshops with teachers. Uh, I do parent workshops and then in the secondary schools I would go in and teach study skills. So teach students how to pass exams, how to retain the information, how their memory works, all those learning to learn strategies. So a lot of that was face to face. Uh, For the past six years though I have been doing a lot of it online as well as I've needed to stay home uh, for my children and so now uh, that pivotal, that transition to be able to do it as a um, on online hasn't been uh, overwhelming for me. Uh, however, we are now doing things like um, uh, producing. Or, well, we just, I said we had the summit, so the summit uh, was amazing, and we're about to do another one for parents, and so. We're doing a lot of things, but then we also, I have several different streams of income coming into my business. So yes, I'm going out and doing the workshops, but we also have a magazine that goes out mainly to New Zealand and Australian hard copy, but online for the rest of the world. So that's another way that we can make an impact and we can get the information out there. It's a beautiful magazine. I wish I could show it to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, 72 pages, glossy. It's a, it's a coffee table magazine, one of those ones you'd leave on your coffee table and uh, uh, with pretty much zero advertising in it. So just great quality articles that are beautiful. Uh, And so we have uh, products, I have a board game, we have, uh, we promote other speakers. So we do a lot of different things to be able to make the impact that we want. I have my own TV show now that came out of lockdown. So lots of different things. Mm. So next obvious question, how do you fit it all in? It sounds hectic. (laughs) 
um, I, um, I can tell you my uh, admin superstar has just walked into the office and she's practicing juggling right now. <laughs> showing, showing me the answer. <laughs> um, uh, yes, so uh, it is a juggle. Um, and I'm quite frenetic and I just keep coming up with ideas. But, you know, I think we prioritize well. I think I... Um, uh, I'm really good at time management and uh, I work 24 <laughs> seven. I, I try and make sure I have uh, time that I'm not working, but I also have an amazing team. Yes. Yeah. So you're also one of those weird people who gets up really early as well, aren't you? Tell, tell us about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of my balance and my, uh, my, my routine. Yes. So I'm a member of uh, Robin Sharma's 5am club. And uh, I want to uh, preface this by saying, uh, once you once you understand how the 5am club works, and once you get it in, into a routine in your body, which yeah. he says takes about 66 days, it doesn't have to be 5am. Okay. Uh, so, but I did it for 5am for uh, 66 days, as he suggests. And uh, but until it became automatic, until it became a routine in my life. So how it works is, uh, yeah, get up at five and you do 20 minutes of exercise, 20 minutes of uh, anything that's to do with planning or um, uh, meditation or uh, affirmations or goal setting or something around, you know, setting yourself up for success mm-hmm. and then 20 minutes of learning. So every single day, uh, I'm, I do that because, and it, when you get it to automaticity, uh, it feels wrong if you don't. You know that feeling when you don't brush your teeth in the morning? Yeah. It just feels wrong. It's like you're out, out of kilter all day. So yes, because I knew I was connecting with you at eight o'clock this morning, I was up at five and I did my 5am club and then I have that time to do what I want. But that yeah. in itself... I've been doing it for just over a year now, has totally transformed my life, has totally transformed my focus, and has totally uh, increased my ability to get more done just by taking that hour just for me. No telephones, don't check my emails first, don't check my uh, Facebook feeds or my social media feeds, it's just my, my hour by myself and focusing on my success. Yeah. I love the fact that you say no telephones, unless all your friends are as mad as you. <laughs> They're probably not up, are they? <laughs> no, but, but there's always emails in the inbox. And, the, and they see, the problem if I look at my phone first yeah. is yeah. that uh, we only have so much bandwidth in our brain. We only have so much uh, capacity to hold on to information yeah. at any one time. And if I start looking at my phone first thing in the morning, that's taking some of my attention away. Yeah. And so I don't want to use that bandwidth. So what I actually do is wait until afterwards. And yes, this morning I was waiting for something for my designer, one of my designers who's in Pakistan. And so he works overnight while I'm sleeping. Uh, but I'm like, oh, I wonder if it's there. But I'm like, no, I have to focus on me first and yeah. then I'll have a look. And yes, it was there when I finally got to it. But yeah. I didn't, I knew once once I clicked on his link and found it was there, my brain would have just gone and uh, focused on that yeah. for the rest yeah, of Yeah, exactly. Time. And of course, you know, as you've said, working internationally like you do, your five o'clock is somebody else's sort of later in the day. So actually, you know, I, I was being flippant, um, obviously. <laughs> Um, especially as I'm a night bird, so I don't even know what 5am is. Um, but, you know, because you work internationally, there's always somebody available who wants something or can talk to you, isn't there? It's, um, so, you, you know, it is that bit, as you say, is carving the time out. But one of the things that always jumps to my mind when I hear people talking about sort of very structured uh, sort of routines, you know, whenever in the day they are, is that whole piece about, firstly, how do you make sure you've got enough stuff, if you like, for learning and for, you know, the sort of self-development piece? But also, how do you make sure you stop? Because even things like using the Pomodoro technique and working with 25 minutes, yeah. I, you know, want to keep going sometimes. And, and I think, well, that's not going to help because then I'll, I'll have, you know, lost the structure of it. And, and that's part of the, the benefit of it sort of thing. Uh-huh. So 
No, I don't. Um, I think when you first start, you need that structure to get into the routine. But look, sometimes I keep, if I'm reading, I keep reading because I'm in an exciting part in the book or I'm learning something that I haven't learned before or I'm watching a TED talk or well, no, they're under 20 minutes, but um, I'm watching a talk from one of my mentors and uh, the one I was watching this morning was 42 minutes long and right. I didn't actually quite finish it, but uh, it's... So there's some flexibility around that. It's about doing, it's actually just about doing it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but of course, I also have to make sure I've got to have time for a shower. I need to be ready for Joe. I need to, you know, so uh, it's fitting it all in and uh, making sure that uh, you're disciplined around that. Yeah. And do you, do you have a, a way of sort of stacking stuff um, for that? You know, like you said about, you know, might watch a TED talk or I might, listen to one of my mentors or whatever do you have a way of sort of corralling that information so it's available to use um well i have a mentor that uh uh that i watch and he has sends a bit two or three videos every week oh. so that, that <laughs> yeah. takes up two or three uh, mornings i belong to a book club so that takes up about two mornings to read a chapter of a book uh, and you know dissect it um yeah. and then yeah. it's like uh, I might be listening to an audio book or I, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong learner. So I'm, there's always something to learn. There's, you can yeah. never, I can never not be learning. No. So I've never had a problem finding things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So moving a bit more practically, what about um, sort of technology and tools and apps and, and things that you use to help you get stuff done? What sort of things do you use, do you recommend? <laughs> Um, well, actually, I'll, I'll go back to you talked about the Pomodoro technique. Yeah. I actually designed an app for students called the iStudy Alarm, uh, which is free on all the platforms, and it times them for 20 minutes and then takes a five-minute break. So I sometimes use that. If I know I've got a tight time frame and I can only be reading for 20 minutes, I'll use my iStudy Alarm. So, uh, But I'm, I'm a little bit old school, Joe. I have uh, a paper diary. Uh, <laughs> my admin superstar she has a um electronic diary yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then she prints it out for me <laughs> i'm so old school um uh but um i i'm really big into systems so uh writing systems so that other people can take over a lot of the work so right now i'm about to run our second summit and i've been writing systems of how do you put the photos in uh to the website how do you uh uh, set up this part of it how do you set up a product how do you and so I'm setting up the systems doing little videos and writing the system out and then I can give it to my team and say please can you do this please can you do this mm -hmm. so uh, I'm big on that just mm -hmm. systematizing things so then I don't have to do it yeah yeah or even or even sometimes so when you do it next time you remember how to do it <laughs> There's some truth about that too, yes. But my biggest learning is being able to let go. I am a control freak, uh, so I um, need to be able to empower others, and uh, I can do that by doing it myself first, writing the system, and then letting them uh, run the system and then put their own flavour to it if that's appropriate, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny. I sometimes I do something and I think, oh, I must write that down so I remember how to do it next time, or I must, you know, create some automation so I don't have to do this again next time. And then I go to do it and realise I did that last time. <laughs> so I obviously do something and think, oh, I must automate it, or I must, you know, write down my process. Especially when it's something you only do four times a year, yeah, and we yeah. find that with, with the magazine, it comes out four times a year, and every time we're like, oh, now how did we do that last time? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So what about um, looking after yourself, making sure you've got the energy to do all this? You, you, you told me you work 24-7, which is not true, obviously. <laughs> but how do you keep that energy level going? Well, I think the 5am club has definitely raised my energy levels. Uh, um, but I'm really clear on my priorities. Uh, it's me first. I have to look after me first. And uh, so that's part of the 5am club, carving out that time for myself. I hear so many women talk about, uh, particularly when you've got children, there's no time for yourself. It's like even if you wake up 15 minutes early and just have that time, there's something so special about that. Yeah. Um, I'm very uh, disciplined with what I eat. So uh, 
right down to uh, weighing my food quite often to make sure I'm just getting exactly the right amount uh, or, and pre-preparing meals. So the meals are all prepared for the week uh, so that I don't, you know, it takes me about two hours on a Sunday and all my lunches are done. So I don't have to think. Uh, so that helps. So it's me first is my priority. My second priority is uh, my husband and my relationship with him. So uh, making sure that we keep uh, communicating and keep the fire lit. Uh, and because I see so many uh, couples, uh, when their children leave home, look at each other and go, who are you? Yeah. And so we carve out uh, about every six weeks. Uh, we used to just have a, a date day. Uh, like in a diary it's like this is our day we'll go to the movies or something but since lockdown this year we've actually having weekends away because our children are old enough for us to do that now so it's like every six weeks we've booked an airbnb somewhere and we just go for the weekend yeah. and even if we just read our books uh, and don't even talk to each other it doesn't matter <laughs> uh, but uh, it's just our time yeah for us uh, or, and go for lovely walks or do whatever we need. Uh, so my third priority is my children. And uh, uh, they, um, of course, are important. So making sure I'm meeting their needs and doing what I need for them uh, and being uh, the taxi mum, which happens regularly. And then uh, the fourth priority is my business and uh, making sure that I do that. So I'm, I'm really clear, and that's one of the things I do every single morning when I am doing my sort of mini meditation. I'm looking at, okay, what am I doing for me today? I sort of start, I'm, I'm trying to draw it and you can't see me. Uh, <laughs> I sort of start like a spiral with me in the middle and I spiral out and go, what am I doing for myself today? What am I doing for my husband today? What am I going to as the spiral gets bigger, what am I doing for my children today? What's yeah. happening in the office and the team today mm -hmm. and for my clients? So I sort of spiral out as I think about my day and yeah. what my priorities are. Mm -hmm. So that really helps. So when I asked you about questions to ask you before we started, one of the ones you talked about was about what you've just said about the sort of you, your husband, your children, your work and so on. Yeah. And you talked about it that many women are victims of the burnt chop syndrome. Oh, yes. So the burnt chop syndrome. I love this. Uh, this. I heard it first from Lisa O'Neill, but I don't think it was uh, actually her phrase. But uh, the burnt chop syndrome, this is how it happens. Uh, you cook dinner and you've cooked all the chops and there's one burnt chop. And so who do you give the burnt chop to, Joe? Well, <laughs> yourself. You go all right. You go. Oh, I can't be bothered with all the nonsense and the fighting. If there's a burnt chop, I'll yeah. just have it. Yeah. And it's like. And so we often leave our own needs till last, uh -huh. which um, and we put ourselves on the back burner. And that's why I believe women burn out so fast. Is we're trying to do so much and not and there's no self-care. Yeah. So what Lisa O'Neill, she has four children. Uh, she says when when there's a burnt chop. She thinks, which child don't I like today? Yeah. <laughs> and she, because there's always one, isn't there? So, uh, so you go, I'm going to put the burnt chop on that child's plate and I'm going to have the best chop because I cooked it. I did all the work. I deserve the best one. Yeah. So she puts the burnt chop on the child's plate she doesn't like. She doesn't tell anybody this. But when the child complains, she goes, oh, is it? Um, and just brushes it aside and she enjoys the chop that she's eaten. Uh, so it's like, yeah, I love that phrase. So how do we make sure we're not suffering the burnt chop syndrome? Yes, absolutely. Because also, I mean, it's funny. Um, I've said, I think, a number of times on this podcast, um, one of the reasons, in fact, the main reason pretty much that I started my business was so that I could stay at home when I had my daughter. And um, and many times over the years she's she's complained you know that I'm never here for her I do nothing for her you know yes. and then I have to sort of remind her that you know apart from the fact that I started the business because of her um you know I um I coached her netball team at school and you know she's got to do x y and z we in the summer apart from this year obviously we normally go camping for weeks in Scotland because we can because I can run my business from there you know all that sort of stuff yes. But none of that apparently <laughs> ever lands. You know, she doesn't remember or realise any of that. Apparently, I never do anything for her. <laughs> oh, my my children are exactly the same. 
universal. Constantly throwing all the stuff about when you're trying to teach them to learn better or to, 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 you know, have a better experience in their education, probably just throw it all back in your face, just like <laughs> all children do. Oh, so here's the truth. Uh, my children are the worst learners uh, and uh, they, they don't know how to study. They don't know how to uh, retain information because what would their mother know? Exactly. Like, it's like the plumber with the leaky taps or the, or the builder who has a half-finished house. Yeah. So uh, I've just resigned my fact, the fact that, you know, I can't help you. I can help many people, but just not the people I love mm. most. Exactly. Yeah, I take a strategy. My, my best friend lives opposite and I take a strategy of getting her to deal with some of those issues because my daughter respects her more than she does me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've, uh, I always said to my son's best friend that I would teach him to drive and his parents could teach yeah. his son to drive. <laughs> Because it's like, I think it would just be so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Lovely. So what about those days where it all goes horribly wrong? What do you do on those days? <laughs> um, bubble baths are my go-to. Uh, <laughs> so relax in a bubble bath and just let it go. Um, I'm, I'm really good at understanding that sometimes you just need to let it go and come back to it. So uh, I ask questions. I... Um, uh, have uh, mentors that I go to and uh, talk things through. Uh, so I don't necessarily have a lot of days that are like that, but um, yeah, we also have dance parties in the office. So, you know, on a really bad day, it's like, let's just dance it up. Uh, so <laughs> put the music up loud and uh, let, let's just dance. So that helps. Lovely, lovely. So I was about to get to the last question and then realised I haven't asked you what you do to learn and improve. Um, and you've obviously talked about you learn every day and all that sort of stuff and you're an expert in learning. Um, I might have taken away almost an opportunity to share resources and ideas, <laughs> but luckily I remembered. <laughs> so, <laughs> so any tips and thoughts for people in terms of um, learning and, and improving yourself? Uh, yeah, so the whole learning thing is you need a purpose to learn. You need uh, a reason to learn information. Uh, and, of course, that's part of the challenge in schools. Kids are just told they have to learn it with no reason. So having a purpose to learn it makes it easier. Um, and then uh, breaking it down into small manageable chunks is, uh, of course, uh, another one, which is why we've created the iStudy Alarm. Uh, and by the way, your listeners can download that, and there are 27 study tips uh, embedded within that and 12 exam tips. So they're right there. They'll be right at their fingertips. Mm -hmm. um, uh, understanding the learning process for me is the most important. That uh, that we have, we have three parts of the learning process really quickly. We have the input, we have the output, and then we have what's called relearn. So you input information, and that's what people are doing right now listening to this podcast. You're inputting information into your brain. Then output is how much can you remember? What did you retain? What can you tell someone about what the conversation Joe and I have had? Uh, and there'll be a gap between the input and the output. Unless you have a photographic memory, you're not going to remember everything that uh, we have talked about. Yeah. So uh, when you find that gap, that's where the learning happens. You have to relearn. So that's when you do rep use repetition or that's when you talk about it with someone or ask questions or do research on the internet to find out more. And so then you input more and then you check your output. How much do you understand? How much can you do? And then if there's a gap, you relearn. So this is a cycle that goes around and around and around. Mm -hmm. And many of our students, particularly in our secondary schools, and I bet your daughter... Uh, uh, is a victim to this too when she's been told to go home and study or go home and learn that she goes over what she already knows rather than what she doesn't know yeah. because it feels good to go over what you know oh I'm clever gosh I'm smart I've got this but when we start going over the things we don't know the internal voice changes to oh this is hard what if they find out I'm not as smart as they think I am? The imposter syndrome. What if I fail? And they don't want to let their parents or anybody else down. So um, learning is hard uh, and it's difficult. And the internal voice uh, is uh, not necessarily positive when we're learning. But we've been sold the lie that uh, learning is fun. 
go to school. Learning will be fun. It's not always fun. Learning can be really hard. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for me, it's that thing about having sort of sort of deadlines and, and visible outcomes. So, you know, what um, really works for Ellie is, is people seeing stuff, you know, her having to hand something in or turn up at something or, or produce something. Yeah. And then um, some of the teachers did a really good job of it in lockdown and some didn't. And I know she will have only done the things that anyone's noticed. <laughs> and so, you know, those teachers. Human nature. Yeah, exactly. And those teachers who are good at noticing, she'll have done well in. And the ones that, that don't, she might have still seemed to have done well in, but she probably hasn't. <laughs> they just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, when you say do well in, um, if you asked her, what, how did you get that great mark for that? She probably doesn't know. No. Um, she'll just go, I don't know, I just did it. And yeah. so therefore they can't repeat their success, which is a real concern for me because they need to know, well, I did this and this and this and that caused this, the yeah. mark that I got. But most of them don't know. No, no, exactly. So the last question then, um, what about those days when you get to live more? And that's where I talk about getting to do more of the, the things that you want to do and less of the stuff that you don't want to do. What do those days look like for you? Oh, I'm such a, I'm such a geek and a nerd. Um, I'm at work. <laughs> I am so passionate about what I do. I could, I seriously could do this 24 um, seven. And uh, being, doing, doing a podcast like this, being on a TV show, being in front of the room, uh, working with teachers, parents and students, it just fuels me. Some days I, uh, if I'm in a, in a school live, I will do a staff meeting a teacher meeting before school. I'll work with the students all day. After school, I might do another teacher meeting. And then in the evening, I'll do a parent meeting. And so they're good 12-hour days. And people come up to me afterwards and go, particularly the client who's employed me, and say, aren't you exhausted? And I'm like, no, I am so energized after those days because I'm in my passion, I'm in my flow. But if I'm not doing that, um, I might be in my craft room doing crafty things. I might be out in the garden. I love, well, I love to have a beautiful garden. Uh, and so it's with, you know, about beginning of spring when we're recording this. So, you know, I'm about to be able to get out into my garden. So, uh, but then of course, being with my family uh, and my husband is a uh, priority. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you, Karen. It's been great interviewing you today. Tell people how they can find out more about you and get in touch. Go to spectrumeducation.com. <laughs> I think that's the most succinct anyone has ever been. And that's what I do when I go on other people's podcasts. It's just like one website is easy. <laughs> from, there, from there, you can find everything else. Yes, I've got, I've got six or seven Facebook pages. I've got, you know, I've got a TV show, but it's all on that website. So spectrumeducation.com. Lovely. I was expecting a shopping list. I'm pleased it was a very short one. <laughs> no shopping. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Joe. All this information is available in the show notes. If you go to powertolivemore.com, forward slash in this case 179 then you'll find them there and this week I just want to talk to you about personal development it was something that we were talking about at counterpoint networking this week and we were talking about the different ways that each of us ensure that we keep developing ourselves and learning and so we talked about things like listening to TED talks I was saying that you can watch them on YouTube there are newsletters that you can sign up for on their website and you can pick I think if I remember rightly topics and then they'll send you the sort of top videos relating to those topics I also recommended on um, the podcasts you can get TED Radio Hour and that's where they take a theme and then they take some of the presentations that have happened and they go and do further interviews with those people and then they sort of stitch it all together so you get an hour around a particular topic including some of those presentations at TED but also some individual interviews as well so that can be really helpful. Other people talked about programs that they've invested in and actually bothered to study. We were also laughing a bit about the whole concept of shelf learning as it used to be called in the real world. I'm not sure what buying digital products that you don't actually follow um, 
is called, <laughs> but that's sort of equivalent. So making sure that uh, if you are going to invest in something that you do put aside that time to do something with it. We talked about mentoring and uh, masterminding, and we we're actually talking about counterpoint networking and whether we'll continue with our topics that we've been doing up to now, which have been really helpful for me in terms of my podcast outros. Um, but we're also uh, thinking that we might, moving forwards from November, hold sort of um, a masterminding type opportunity at the end of the networking so people can bring their business issues whatever they might may be and the other people that are there can help with that and so we won't have a topic per se but we'll just uh, discuss whatever people bring to the meeting so that may well be what we do and so hopefully I'll get some nice juicy topics that I can share on here as well. Other people talked about listening to podcasts and audiobooks and it's certainly something that I do quite a lot of and as you know I have my own podcast I'll tell you why you know that because you're listening to it <laughs> um, so we were talking about that so you're, you're one step ahead of the crowd <laughs> as you listen to this podcast already but also some of the other ones that um, are out there that uh, you can listen to I mean there are so so many and I just hear of people starting new podcasts every week at the moment um we also talked about reading and how there are so many great business books out there. Some people like to listen to them rather than reading them. And uh, there's something called Blinkist that I have used in the past, which is a website that summarizes business books into uh, blinks, as they call them. So sort of sections that are much quicker to read than a book. And you can use them to really get the key points from the book rather than having to read it but also sometimes you can read the key points and then get so absorbed into that that you want to actually read the whole book so it doesn't sort of stop you reading the book it uh, can enhance that as well and um, my husband mentioned a app that he's downloaded recently which is doing a similar uh, thing which I'm just looking up to tell you it's called Headway and that's the same sort of idea that it's summaries of business books that um, you can read and I, I think there's some sort of daily suggestion for you and all that sort of thing too and of course the other thing is just really having those opportunities to meet with people so the networking that we do on a weekly basis is sort of about meeting new people if we get new people come to it but actually it's much more about meeting people that we know and um, are developing a relationship with and also then can trust to help us and give thoughts on our business challenges as well so all sorts of ways of personal development and that was a really interesting conversation that we had so I made a note a couple of weeks ago I keep meaning to remind you that I have a Facebook group which is using your power to live more so if you go to facebook.com forward slash groups and then forward slash using your power to live more you can join there and I share useful content and uh, at the moment I've got lots of content going in there about my 30 days of inspiration in October, which is all about living your best life now. If you're interested in signing up for that, if you haven't already, then go to powertolivemore.com forward slash living your best life now. And you'll get added to the list and then you'll be able to see on the emails that you get links to all the previous posts that you might have missed for the first bit of October. If it's not October anymore, you can still go there and sign up and it'll start sending you those messages on a daily basis for the next 30 days so you can get your 30 days of inspiration whenever it is that you're listening to this as ever the show notes are at powertolivemore.com forward slash 179 and we look forward to speaking to you next week use your power to live more